You're listening to the Bill Shaves Podcast, presented by Midco Sports. Unwrap the gift of University of North Dakota Athletics on Midco Sports this holiday season with live broadcasts of Fighting Hawks hockey and basketball, plus the return of the hour-long UND Football Signing Day special coming Wednesday, December 21st at 10 a.m. That's Midco Sports. This is how we do sports. And this is the Bill Shaves Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Bill Shaves Podcast. It is the 12th of December, the 12th of the 12th month of the year, a Monday morning, not a Tuesday, like we normally pod. Some winter weather coming our way. We decided to make a little adjustment, move it up a day just to be safe. Finals week, Bill, a lot going on. Bill Shaves, Alex Heinert with you, of course, as always. Bill, how does this Monday morning uh, greet you? We are bracing for a little bit of weather, and so I think the most important part here for our students and uh, our student-athletes, you're right, um, many of them will be uh, finishing up their classes this week. Uh, Some some might have already finished their classes, so it may not affect everybody, but I think we're we're being really mindful here at the university to see uh, how the final schedules are going to be checking out. And uh, obviously we've got a couple of games tonight uh, when this gets released uh, here tomorrow, uh, we'll already know uh, the men's and women's double header, uh, what transpired, but yeah. So, you know, a couple of a uh, couple of non division one games and you kind of figure it out when to put it in finals week front or back. And uh, probably uh, lucky for us that it's actually tonight. And uh, so that, uh, the weather occurrence that's going to uh, start and I think linger for a few days uh, won't affect uh, the games tonight for sure. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be a slow moving storm that will be coming across the upper Midwest. And so, yeah, at this point, again, as you're listening to this, the games against Mayville State and North Central, the doubleheader that will be going on tonight will, of course, be in the past. Finals week will be a little closer to being being wrapped up. But yeah, best best wishes to everybody as they get set to travel back home after the semester wraps. Uh, and best wishes to everybody as they get more into holiday mode. And and that's kind of where we are now as you see kind of the end of a couple of different sports, at least this this portion of their season. Hockey now done with the first half. Men's and women's hoops with just the one game left before Summit League play starts next week. Football, of course, kind of wrapping up at least this portion of recruiting. That mid-December is always a delineation mark between what was and what will be to come for UND Athletics. Yeah, in, in right before the calendar year, so we've got those couple of games uh, in the Summit League in basketball, so that will be incredibly important for us uh, um, as we uh, as we then turn the calendar and uh, get full force into conference play. So, uh, yeah, really, really important to uh, kind of finish the non-conference portion of our season well tonight. And then, uh, you know, then they can kind of – uh, prepare on two fronts, one for at the academic side of life this week, and then uh, and then for our first two conference games, uh, both on the men's and women's side. Yeah. Before we dig into the specifics on the individual teams that are underway right now and then get to a, a fun B side where we'll talk some soccer and maybe some offseason baseball, just give us a little state of the athletics department right now as the semester starts to come to a close. Yeah, I think... Uh, you know, it's been a really quick year uh, already academically. It seems like everything starts and just gets going. And, uh, um, you know, but I, we're, we're, we're looking forward to taking, I think, a little bit of time to to, to reflect here and, and see how we can get better on all of our programs across the board. But it's been good. It's been good. You know, we're uh, excited for uh, um, what's to come here in 23. I think a lot of our programs, um, you know, they've uh, – they're all on kind of an uptick, I would say, as far as uh, trying to get uh, 
miles on their odometer and whether that be with teams that are new let's you know talk hockey because i was out in western michigan and we can kind of figure that piece out and but you saw a basketball team that has tail of two halves this past saturday and uh and then made it to overtime against a pretty good seattle team uh who was six and one coming into the game and uh you saw that we uh we certainly put some uh miles on our freshmen's odometers on on uh, that night so uh so it'll be interesting how how things move forward uh as as conference uh you know kicks into gear yeah, you mentioned the uptick that you're feeling around the athletics department. It's easy to forget, but in the fall, you know, you had football, volleyball, soccer all qualify for their conference tournaments, which again, in, in those particular sports is not a guarantee. It's tough to make top six. It's tough to make the 2014 field in FCS. It feels the same thing with hockey too. Kind of a couple bumps in the road in the first half, but then a big five-point weekend at Kalamazoo. Women's basketball has won four in a row. Like they're just, they're just good things. It feels like right now, you never know what you're going to get any given week in your chair, but it feels like things are good. There's a feel-good factor right now around UND Athletics. When you're in competition mode, obviously, uh, no one ever is going to feel sorry for you. you got to try to figure out how to be uh, the best you can be uh, team by team. But, you know, at, at, we we literally have still been less than five years in the Summit League, uh, and, and and we dealt with the COVID piece, which has been interesting, right? For and it's amazing that we're coming up to year three, right? Like uh, here in, in in January, February ish. But at the end of the day, uh, yeah, I think we we feel like we're getting our footing to some degree. Um, I know it's always been a little bit dicey as far as what's going on in the NCAA or what we don't know what's going on in the NCAA. And so that seems to be looming out there for us as well, that we're going to have to really keep our eye on that name, image, and likeness has been, um, you know, something that, you know, some of our student athletes have dabbled in, but not, not to the level, I think at certain, uh, certain sports have at, let's just call it the power five level. And so, you know, I, I, all of those things have been felt like, you know, many plates spinning. And we're just trying to make sure that we're, you know, keeping an eye on all of them. But long story short, it's about our teams getting better and moving forward. And and I do feel like there's, uh, you know, optimism in in many slash all of our sports. Good to hear. Good to hear. Well, one, one team that has given fans a lot of reason for optimism after a strong weekend on the road is hockey. And even though UND goes into the break, a game under 500 and sort of incredibly still in seventh place in the NCHC. I mean, you get five or six from the weekends and you think, okay, they, they'll move up a little bit. But they're, they're obviously one game out of fourth. So everything is super tight. It's a very condensed group with all the eight teams playing 10 games. But they go to Kalamazoo. They take on a ranked Western team that had the top ranked offense in the country. UND's defense had struggled. What a complete narrative flip where they hold the Broncos to just two goals all weekends in a 2-2 shootout win on Friday and then a 3-0 shutout win on Saturday. Yeah, that was, uh, I thought, a pretty complete six periods of hockey, 120 minutes uh, uh, and beyond, right? I think our team is trying to figure out again just how they have to play to have, you know, uh, you know, success. And uh, that was exciting to see. And uh, I think... Um, you know, you'd almost say to yourself, well, it would be awesome to have another weekend of games this weekend. But eh, the, 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 the timing comes when the timing comes. And you know what? I think kind of heading in now to the break, 
knowing what they can uh, evaluate on some of the some of the good, some of the bad, and some of the things that we uh, you know needed to clean up. Um, I think this respite will be good for for a number of our players. That I think uh, you know we've been going really since we dropped the puck, and so we haven't had an off weekend. Other schools have, we haven't. So I think this time will be uh, beneficial for us. But it's go time. Once we drop the puck again I, against the U.S. team, I'm, I'm sure we'll get our stuff back and act back in action a little bit but when it gets to january you know early january 5th 6th against lindenwood it's go time and uh, i think this team knows it big games coming up on the other half of the new year Uh, they do get as you mentioned a couple of weekends off now two weekends in a row to just rest up heal up a little bit get some guys back healthy try and get a full lineup going for that game on new year's eve which is a four o'clock start against the national team development program And then that's the first of seven straight games at home. So a great opportunity to start off January with a couple in non-conference and then back-to-back NCHC series uh, against Western and against Minnesota Duluth to kick things off. So it's all there. Great opportunities to make up some ground both in the pairwise and in the NCHC. And again, this team coming off what they just came off of, I think, as you said, there's hope now. I think there's a renewed sense that this team can be what we thought it was going to be at the start of the year. Yeah, I, I, you know, and again, I, it, I think every year, every team has its 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 growing pains, and just because you have a lot of guys coming back doesn't mean it's the same team. So I think we kind of learned this weekend, uh, you know, a little bit about ourselves. So exciting to see as we move forward. Yeah, a couple of good results for UND out in Kalamazoo. Four good results in a row for women's basketball. Uh, also in Michigan, including a big road win at Eastern a couple of days ago. But they've now started to pick up some momentum at 6-3. and three. Mallory Bernhardt's team with one game left in the non-conference before they start their Summit League campaign. Talk about a team that is starting to figure themselves out as December has moved on. I think Mallory, and congratulations to her and Nick uh, and, and, and baby Lizzie. So she's uh, uh, here uh, in the UND family. So uh, excited uh, for them. But... Yeah, it was a uh, it was a nice way to kind of uh, somewhat close out non conference uh, uh, fashion here, and that was a big win uh, in Ypsilanti. Uh Eastern Michigan had not lost at that point in time, and so uh, you know they felt good about themselves going into that game. And I thought we played a pretty good road game um, and kind of put some things together. But you know, I think that that you know our team still has opportunity to to still grow a little bit because we've got a number of. Um, first year players that are trying to make their mark right now and in, in trying to, uh, I guess, piece it together at this stage. And it seems like depending on who we're playing is who you're going to see in the lineup, because obviously we've got a number of uh, returners b- between Casey and Claire and Julia, you know, obviously they, they've, they've had a lot of minutes over the course of time. We're going to see those those guys, but at the end of the day, we need we need to really lengthen some things out at, for a, a long, hard uh, summit uh, league season. Figuring out that rotation behind that group that you just mentioned. Obviously, Casey Bravich scored thirty four in that win over Eastern Michigan, her second thirty point game of the season. Juliet Gordon's been consistently in double figures this year. Claire Orth had like a 16-point game the other night against Weber State in that win. They, they, they've got some girls with great experience that they know what they're going to get from night in, night out. It is just a matter now of, yeah, figuring out which of those freshman players, you know, are going to be able to step up, you know, and there's some that, that known versus unknown. And we're at the point of the season where you, 
you kind of start to need <laughs> to know a little more about what you've got. But they'll get a chance to figure more of that out, of course, on Monday, as you listen to this last night or earlier this week, as they take on Mayville State at home. And then uh, they get a couple more home games in a row to start off the Summit League next week. Um, that you need Normally, again, Summit League is Thursday, Saturday. We won't get a Thursday, Saturday look until the new year. There'll be a Monday and a Wednesday and then... A Friday, uh, there's just there's just some different unique games coming up because of the way the schedule works out with Christmas and New Year's. But the 19th against St. Thomas, the 21st against Western Illinois, a couple of big games, both at home to start Conference League play for the women. Yeah, no doubt about it. Obviously, the men will flip and and, and be on the road. But um, yeah, it's uh, you know it's exciting uh, for for this team. But you know, I, I'll I'll be interested who kind of uh, kicks into the rotation as we get into January and February. So, uh, but you know, there's some options, or maybe it just turns out that we play X amount of players, and again, it, it's it's matchup driven. Who knows? <laughs> we'll all find out together. I <laughs> I think we trust Mal and, and the rest of the coaching staff to make the right moves as this team continues to grow forward. But again, six and three for the ladies, really strong month of December in the works. On the men's side, almost the, the inverse where the, the men had started to kind of figure things out and then they've lost a couple of games in a row now. And, and no shame losing against a ranked team in Iowa State on the road at Portland and Idaho in games in which they were in. And then against a good Seattle team who had lost just once over the course of the season in which UND was up by 17 at one point and then saw that lead get whittled away and they end up losing on a last-second shot in overtime. But it's still, like you said, much like the women are kind of figuring out new players behind a group of veterans, the men are just figuring out new players really top to bottom. It is, it is such a young team and guys are... We saw Elijah Brooks score 17 in that loss against Seattle. Some of these freshmen are starting to step up and make a name for themselves. Just a matter of finding that consistency over who's going to do it night in, night out. Yeah, I mean, obviously we had a tough year last year. And what what, what happens when you have a tough year and uh, in B-side soccer parlance, it's hard sometimes to see games out. And, uh, you know, you could see that we were trying to see it out and uh, missed some free throws, had some costly turnovers, um, you know, missed a few shots that you'd probably wanted to get back. And so I think all of those is part of the experience. Um, Now, you could also say, well, you know, it'd be nice to have experience and a win, right? For sure. I think Coach Sather would would agree with with that, uh, no doubt about it. But, you know, I thought we played – really well on Saturday, certainly in parts. Uh, uh, Seattle um, is a team that has uh, uh, won the regular season in the Western Athletic Conference last year. And so has this group has won a lot of games and it it felt like there was one team that sort of knew how to get to the finish line and the other one was trying to figure out how to get to the finish line. We're going to talk a lot about seeing out games with the Argentinians and the Brazilians coming up, as you said. It's hard. It's hard sometimes. And yeah, free throw shooting, not quite akin to the penalty shootout, but there's pressure on the line when you step up. And UND struggled a bit, I think, 15 of 27 from the stripe in that game against Seattle. And if a couple more of those go in, you're not, you're, you're not in that situation. And, and what's really hard is, you know, because I think all of us will always default to, well, don't they practice free throws? Well, of <laughs> course they practice free throws. The answer is yes. The pod will dispel any thoughts that uh, we don't practice free throws. It's a little different 
in the in when the lights are on and you're in the uh, you're trying to putt maybe a, a five foot putt and you're the last one on the anchor in your in your group and uh, the three of the the three ahead of you have all missed and uh, now you're trying to uh, putt it in or you're Jim Furyk on the 17th at the U.S. Open and you duck hook it twice which he never does ever and so those are the things you know in competition that you just can't replicate. So you can go shoot for sure a 300 shots a day and you need muscle memory. But at the end of the day, it's hard to replicate game day. The pressure, the pressure, Bill, you, you don't feel it when you're by yourself in the gym to put in extra work. And that's one of those things that with experience, even with experience, sometimes it still gets the people. We're seeing the greatest players in the world of soccer during penalty kicks at times almost lock up to some degree and not even sending balls with any sort of authority. You can make a decision sometimes to just sort of go a certain way and you kick it with certain speed, but there's some right now that are in that same moment. So I think psychologically there's sometimes it's just experience. I mean, just being in those situations. And that's the one thing that I took from the men on Saturday that, you know, we're going to, get into these situations and we're going to learn from them and we're going to be better for them. Yeah, that's it. That's the, that's the thing you can take from that. And so at five and seven now with one game and non-conference left, you and you would expect to begin conference play at six and seven. And, and then, as you said, inverse of the women, they'll go to Minneapolis and they'll go to Macomb on the 19th and 21st of December before a big home game against North Dakota state on the 30th as summit league play again, right around the corner as we hit that time of the year. The last final thing on both basketballs, you know, assessing the league to some degree where it's been really interesting, um, some of the results and some of it has to do with travel and sometimes sickness, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of that going around, but uh, we're seeing a a variance of, of results. And at the end of it all, I do think both of both teams, though, going into the Summit League are optimistic about where these teams can can uh, fall. And I, I know where we were picked preseason, but I think um, both teams, uh, you know, are thinking, you know, bigger and, 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 and they should. We'll find out what they're made of in conference play against the Tommies and against the Leathernecks coming up this next week. Again, best of luck to the men's and women's hoops teams as they launch their conference play coming up in just a couple days. Uh, Speaking of launching new parts of the season, indoor track and field bill is underway. Uh, Last weekend, back on the 2nd and 3rd of December, indoor track was in Fargo and in Boston, of all places, to get things started. We had some some fireworks, especially out uh, on the East Coast. Luke Labatt setting the new school record in the 5K a couple hours after his teammate had set the mark initially. Nelson Ruto set the 5K mark in the morning, and then Luke Labatt got it in the afternoon after Patrick Kikemboy had set it at the Summer League Indoor Championships last spring. It's uh, good good early returns if you're setting school records in December in the, in the indoor track and field season. Obviously, the cross-country work that they did paying off as they transitioned to the indoor season. Yeah, so so poor Nelson probably holds the record for the shortest time holding a UND record. <laughs> Didn't hang on to it for very long. A a a small stewardship for Nelson. Couple a uh, couple hours, and that was it. Luke broke it pretty significantly too. I think o- over five seconds, right, close to six seconds. Yeah, 
Yeah. Now, again, this is like a 14 minute race, you know, the 5K. So there's so five seconds in a 14 minute race. So, you know, it's close. That's nip and tuck. But great to have those two pushing each other along with Patrick, who's still on the team. They've got a lot of really strong distance runners. And we're going to see that over the, at the indoor season, you don't get maybe as much opportunity to show showcase that as you do in the outdoor season. But uh, really good stuff, though, for those guys in the 5K. And this is kind of the season of splits where one team might go one direction and one team might go the other. Coming up, though, it'll be a lot of meets around the area in Fargo, in Brookings, in Grand Forks in January. Um, that'll be the next action, by the way, for the men and women on the track and field side as they get a bit of a break before the 14th of January will be their next event. So from a coaching standpoint, when you've got this long gap between competitions, I mean, that's like six weeks really between competitions. How do you keep it fresh? Have you, what have you talked with Jim? What, what sounds like the plan from their standpoint to uh, keep the team ready to go? Yeah, I think what he does is I, I do think he looks at the calendar, you know, because, again, I think he looks at it as one long season. So this is probably in some ways a little bit of an off season, if you will, um, mm-hmm. it, it built in to the actual calendar. So uh, my guess is uh, in not having spoken specifically to him, um, I would assume that we've got uh, them with uh you know, some sort of a, a, a training regimen, right. To, to make sure that they're staying fresh and, uh, and getting back now you being more, I, I would say of the track aficionado, I, I would say this, I, there's probably a level of getting your body back a little bit and, and not pounding it to some degree right now, probably is a good thing. Yeah, I would say so. No, I think you're, you're spot on with that. Cause again, you're always with track. It's that cyclical, you you build up towards the biggest meets of the year and then you recover and then you build back up. And, you know, for these guys, they're coming up the, at least the distance kids, you're coming off your biggest meets, you know, in November with, with cross country championships. And now you're sort of giving yourself a chance to, to break your body down a bit so you can build it back up again. And, and the, the biggest meets of course, in the indoor season won't be coming until the end of February, some of the indoor championships that last weekend of February in Vermilion before the indoor national championships take place the following month. So they're a long ways away from reaching the finish line. So it's a, yeah, it's always an interesting strategy when you have this gap and, and how do you handle it and how do you keep kids going and keep their bodies in shape and keep their minds sharp. And, but like you said, yeah, it probably is a matter of just take a, take a little break. <laughs> don't, don't kill yourself on the miles or on the distance or whatever you're doing. You know, what's fascinating too is, um, for lack of a better term, and I'll say more in the distance, uh, more for distance during the cross country season is it's always kind of interesting who races when and what teams what, what they put out on a week to week basis. Cause it's almost like they're completely in their own world. And in, in some ways results are good as a team, but they're really focusing on, on one race for a result ultimately. Yeah. And this is what makes track and field and cross country so different than football, basketball, hockey, volleyball, any other like those sports, you're kind of playing your best team pretty much every night, every time out, every game matters, all those things. This is just a completely different approach where you maybe are gonna, you're going to have half the group going this week and maybe the other half goes the next week. Or maybe you're like, okay, you're going to go, but you're going to go at 80%. Or you're, there's just like those differences in approaching each individual meet. And each individual athlete is kind of on a different schedule based on how their body is feeling. 
you just peak performance is just a different thing in track and field and cross country. Yeah. And so it, I think if you even are thinking that someone might need some time to uh, over, it, you wouldn't hesitate to, to, to not play your player yeah. at that point, because you're always looking at that date where you really need that runner at that stage of the game to be as, uh, um, as in a, as peak condition as possible. I always find it interesting then when you get to conference and you see a kid compete in like seven events where it's like, okay, we need you in all these relays. We need you to do maybe more than you've done all season. You're going to long jump and you're going to run the hundred and the 200 and the four by one. And you're going to do this. And because, because kids need, you need the points. And if this is your best athlete and they're feeling good, you throw them out there and everything when you would not think of doing that at a meet in early January or in, you know, the middle part of the outdoor season, et cetera. So it's just so funny. You keep these kids, you know, it's, it's really that like break the glass in case of emergency. And when you get to conference, you break the glass. Yeah. And I think your, I think your um, original question to kind of tie it all back in is that there's a conversation between coaches, your strength and conditioning folks and your athletic trainers. And I think once you get a plan together, every plan might be different for each, uh, each student possibly. I mean, that's a, that's a possibility, but uh, yeah, I, I think this is a time where maybe you get to uh, get rest a little bit and then uh, build it back up. Uh, one last thing on UND athletics, big week for the football team. I guess signing day, at least the early signing day is coming up next Wednesday, the 21st of December. Big moment for some of the recruits who have verbally committed to officially sign. I know there's obviously a lot of kids that are still figuring out where they want to go and play their football, but it's it's a big day coming up and we're going to be covering that as we always do with an hour long live signing day special from our Midcoast studios in Grand Forks, Bubba Schweigert. The rest of the coaching staff will all be there. We'll chat with Bubba and Danny Froines. We'll have Tom Miller of the Grand Forks Herald on. It's going to be fun, a really fun hour show from 10 to 11 that morning. It'll re-air that night as well. Uh, so get a, a great chance to get a first look at kids when they officially put pen to paper and sign their letters of intent to come play at UND and go to school here as well. So that's always a fun thing and a big time for this football team as they get set to bring in the next group of young men. It is, and I think today where we are in the FCS um, and, and not that the FBS isn't in this uh, realm as well, but uh, you know, you still want to build the program with solid um, high school uh, prep athletes that are coming uh, to campus. But, you know, given where we are right now in the uh, opportunities that our, our students have to, uh, to find new homes through the portal, that's just a whole nother little, um, again, balls in the air, if you will, for our coaching staff. And I think, you know, uh, I talked to Bubba this morning and, uh, you know, majority of his uh, uh, coaches be on the road this week and, uh, and kind of putting, trying to put the finishing touches on, on, on the class. And then, uh, then you're continually still trying to figure out who could be next as well. And, uh, you know, if, if, if you recall, Tyler Hoosman came in, uh, you know, later, uh, after the signing, uh, day, uh, you know, last year. And so I think you're always looking at the roster construction 
continually and in in it and it maybe will change more than it's ever changed uh at this point and and that's fine that's okay but it, it, it takes ultra communication among the staff and the students to know you know what we're looking for at this stage of the game and you know he's always trying to figure out how, how to make our roster as good as it can be for the next uh the next year yeah it's it's amazing the level of depth you need to have on a team to have success and when you're looking at a team that includes you know 90 to 100 you know student athletes and and the fact that now there is more opportunity for them to leave and look for greener pastures kind of whenever and and for more of those kids then to come and find you and the second round of recruiting etc you got to give the staff a huge round of applause and you you have to I think as a fan sometimes it's easy to forget but yeah these guys are out on the road like if you've been watching social media the picture is from kids posting like, hey, great home visit with Coach Costage today or, you know, Brett Holenka stopped by. It was awesome to see him, like those sorts of things. That's all happening right now. The season, the season in quotes, might be over. But like you always say, it's just part that the, the playing side, the competition side is over. Now we've transitioned into this new thing. And it's it's not going to end on December the 21st. It's going to continue into February and the second signing day. And really throughout, it, it never stops really for these guys. Yeah, you know, that's what makes intercollegiate athletics kind of cool, but it, it also um, is interesting for us administratively, too. You know, we always have teams, I'll call them in season, and so, uh, but you're always trying to figure out where all your programs are right now, trying to figure uh, their calendars out. Obviously, you know, between, let's just call it June and uh, August, we get a little reprieve as far as competitions are concerned, but you're always working through who's going to be a student athlete here at the university of North Dakota. And so it's just, it's, it's interesting how it plays itself out. And Bubba, you know, says it well is, you know, there's, there's not an off season. It's just a different part of the season. And, you know, this is the one where, you know, you do as much, uh, you know, tinkering with uh, for us, it's 106 uh, uh, roster spots and you kind of figure out who's going to be where. And, uh, and sometimes you get surprises too. So uh, my guess is you need to be open for surprises. (laughs) And this is why you need to watch next Wednesday morning from 10 to 11 to find out a little more who officially signs, what their background is, what can be expected of that group, both incoming transfer students who will sign that day as well as first-year freshmen who will join the class of 2023. So be sure to check that out next week. Best of luck to this coaching staff as they finalize this initial signing day and as they press forward into the next one, which is coming up in February. Uh, speaking of football, just really quick, we had some wacky quarterfinal games in the FCS. Your thoughts on Incarnate Word 66, Sac State 63, Bill? Crazy game. Yeah, you know, this this particular um, coaching cycle, it seems like there's, uh, and again, it just, I, I don't know if I have great data on this one, but it seemed like there were a lot of schools around the country that, um, you know, struggled a bit uh, with their coach potentially having opportunities somewhere else. And, uh, you know, in Sac State uh, kind of was in the same boat as actually Incarnate Word because G.J. Kinney from Incarnate Word is uh, heading off to uh, um, I, I forget where he's going, maybe North, not North Texas. Uh, he's going somewhere. So anyways, long story short, and then Troy Taylor's going to Stanford. But, yeah, that was an odd game. I, I just I. I watched it all um, after the hockey game. I, I'm not sure what I was watching in the second half. <laughs> 
Did you see it at all? No, I saw the highlights. The most points ever in an FCS playoff game. I mean, 129 combined points between these two. It's just crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah, it was just um, interesting. Uh, now that provides opportunity for two of our uh, schools in our conference to have home games uh, in the semifinals. And needless to say, we don't have to go down this path again, but home games help. Um, and, uh, you know, as we've learned uh, over the course of time, uh, home games really do help. And so, uh, you know, we'll see what transpires this week. Yeah, it should be fun. We'll be paying attention again. Semifinal Friday with the Bison taking on Incarnate Word at six. Montana State at SDSU in a rematch of last year's semifinal that was out in Bozeman. Uh, that game at three on Saturday, both of those games on ESPN too. So a lot of fun. Keep following. Uh, you can you can choose whether or not you want to support those Valley schools involved in each of those matchups. <laughs> sure will. But it's good football though, coming your way. Yeah, no doubt. Everyone has to make their own choices. But at the end of the day, um, when our league does well, it, I think it does do, uh, it helps us certainly the following year when you're in a committee's conversation and uh, it, it, it makes a difference. Yeah, 100%. So good stuff there. Uh, I think that's all we've got from a UND NCAA perspective. Let's do a quick flip over to the B side where, speaking of quarterfinals, there was some quarterfinal madness in the World Cup, Bill. Four great games this past weekend. A lot of drama, both in the end of extra time, at the end of regulation, upsets, penalty kick shootouts. Where do you want to start? Which one stood out to you the most of the set of four? You know, you probably want to start with, is it fair? I don't know who's more disappointed today. Is it Brazil or is it England? Ooh, uh, it's probably Brazil, I suppose. If you wanted to think of the national psyche of losing a match in which you had, I think, 18 shots to one, I think was the final number against Croatia. But they just couldn't find the final pass, the final ball until extra time. And then they do. They get this great team move that Neymar finishes off the tie Pelé for the most goals in Brazil history. And that's in the 105th minute. So they've only got 15 minutes to go and they'll be moving on to the semis. And then this Croatia team, which made the final again four years ago, in which nobody gave them any chance to do then. And then nobody's given them any chance this time around. They just find a way. They score in the 117th minute. And then they win it in PKs. It, England, I think, has a right to be disappointed, you know, and they had the opportunity there to tie the game late. But I think Brazil, like this, this kind of was their year, it felt, with the way things had come together at up and down the pitch. Team was in harmony. They're playing great. And this was a sucker punch for sure. They seem to have been probably what they were number one. They're number one FIFA ranked, I believe. Uh, and they're just uh, their they're up and down lineup is unbelievable, really. And so uh, for them, yeah, to go out in the quarters, you're probably right. Uh, England, I think, felt as if this certainly uh, was an opportunity for them with the with the group that they had right now. And, uh, you know, losing to France is no shame when you probably have the best player on the opposition potentially, uh, in the world. And so, uh, yeah, and they, they have experience in winning. So the one thing you learned was certain teams have a way or have a knack to hang in, even in uh, Croatia, give them credit. Like they never gave, gave up and they hung in and found a way. And, uh, boy, when you get to PKs, it is a complete flip of the coin. Croatia, if you've not been tracking, they beat Japan on penalty kicks in the round of 16, 
their goalkeeper stopped three shots, like, and they literally saved three PKs. And normally in soccer, it's an 80% success rate. Now that number goes down in these sorts of moments, because as we talked about earlier, the pressure is incredible. But going into that Brazil shootout, you knew the Brazilians had to have watched that game tape and had seen that this guy stopped was three for three. Japan didn't score against them in the shootout. And you could tell Brazil were trying to be as pinpoint accurate as they could because it was going to take something special. And on that last attempt, Marquinhos has the chance to keep them alive and he hits it off the inside of the post and out. Like He was trying to pick the corner perfectly because he knew if he didn't, it was probably going to get saved. Like just the mind games that go into this, the amount of research that goes into, okay, where does this kick taker like to go? The cat and mouse of, I'm going to stutter step. I'm going to hesitate. I'm going to wait for the last second to make sure the goalie moves first. It's just the, I can't, (laughs) I, if it was ever the USA in those moments, and it was actually on the women's side um, in the world cup in 20, 11 against Japan, it went to PKs. And it was awful, like just awful watching your team in a situation like that with a chance to move on. I just can't imagine. And you can see what it, when, when these results finish, because again, two of the, the both of the games on Friday ended in PKs. And the you talk about joy of victory and agony of defeat. Like it's just people crumpling, knowing they were this close and people in a state of relief and euphoria, knowing they had the great escape to get out of this with a victory. It's incredible. Nothing like it. Yeah, it is incredible. And I, you know, if I, um, if I have this correct, right, Neymar did not shoot during the uh, penalties. I would assume that he was going to be probably the fifth. Yeah. So you make a choice. I mean, do you, do you put your best player last or first? Right. I mean, I, I think there's stats that indicate scoring first in a, in a, in a, uh, penalty kick uh, process, uh, I don't know, percentages probably favor you if, if you score first. So, but at the end of the day, you still have to score it too. Like it's, there's no guarantee Neymar scores it. There isn't. I think though you need to probably have him in your first three. Cause in this case, there's no guarantee he even takes one if he's fifth. That's the problem. That's, that's a problem, which, which gets you to Harry Kane. And, and again, I, you know, it just was interesting. I, I literally am texting with my son back and forth. And I said to him, Ooh, do you have him take the second one? Because again, it felt like he got the first one against his teammate of 10 mm-hmm. years at the same club. They've taken a lot of probably PKs against each other. It's almost like you wanted to have him not have to do that. Get, send someone else up there that Larice had to kind of work through because he had already been one for one. I, it kind, I don't know. It just felt like there was a chance he could miss. Even in a game that didn't go to PKs, PKs undo it, the English. Like it's just, you texted me this morning, oil and water, England in the penalty kick shootouts. It felt like they had gotten over those demons at the last World Cup because they beat Colombia in a shootout. And that like, I don't know what England's overall record was in penalty shootouts in major tournaments. Not good. Let's just say that. It was not good. They always seem to find a way to not get the win in those circumstances. But now they've lost a penalty shootout to Italy last summer at the Euros. And now they lose one here. To, but, but they didn't lose a penalty shootout. But Kane makes the first penalty. He misses the second in the 81st minute that would have tied the match. Penalties the undoing for a really talented English side against the defending world champions is tough to see. And Harry Kane is tremendous at taking penalties. I mean, he's probably, if not the best in the world, he he just doesn't miss many. Mm-hmm. But 
there was too much, uh, I, I would say, um, psychological warfare when you're going against your own goalie that you know inside and out and you know each other. It was almost you wanted to absolve him at that stage of the game. Yeah, they could have picked could have picked a lot of different people, but he's the captain. And again, he's their best penalty taker. It's just so hard. If you didn't have him take the penalty and the guy misses, it's the same thing. It's like, how could you not have Kane take the penalty? He's already made one that day. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, you know, you, you can't win or lose. The only way you can win is if you, you made it, right? And yeah. then you found a way to win the match. And there's still, there's no guarantee that that would have happened. So now we we flip forward and it's kind of interesting. You got a couple Cinderella's and and then you possibly have the defending champs against Messi, right? Like if it, it, you would say from a television standpoint, I would say that certainly that's what I'm sure that they're rooting for at this point in time. Morocco, Croatia probably won't get the ratings as France and Argentina. <laughs> What? You don't think people want to tune in to see Morocco battle Croatia in the World Cup final on Fox Sunday morning? I, I can't believe that. No, I can guarantee you. Now, it's it's unique because, like you said, yeah, you've got the defending champs. We haven't seen a team go back-to-back. For, I mean, for a long time, you got to go back to Brazil in... Gosh, was it Brazil in the seven? I'm, why am I blanking right now? It's been forever. I mean, it's been a really long time since the team has won back-to-back World Cups. I think Brazil in the 70s was the last to do it. France with Mbappe, probably the most talented, most marketable player on the planet. Messi, the GOAT, like all those things. That would be an unbelievable matchup. If it's Croatia-France, it's a rematch of the last time the World Cup took place. We haven't had a rematch like that since the eight, late 80s, early 90s with Germany-Argentina. But yeah, it would be really funny if Morocco can just continue this. Again, they knock off Spain. They knock off Portugal. They have not allowed a goal in the tournament that was not scored by them. I mean, and it's it's been incredible. They've had an incredible run. And in Portugal, let's just say, I think they did everything but score a goal. Yeah. Hit the bar, hit the posts. It, it just was, you know, um, but you got to put it away and they found a way to, to advance. So uh, it's going to be interesting for sure. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, how could you, as a soccer fan, I, I, Croatia, sure. I, 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 that would be kind of fun too, if they, they were in it to some level. Um, but uh, you know, I think Morocco would probably have to continue to play the way they've been playing right now is absorb pressure, absorb, absorb. And, you know, I, I think I'm looking forward to a let, let's let's get the world world champs defending world champs against Argentina. Let's go. It would be fun if, if that's the way it works out. out. I think from, from a spectacle standpoint, standpoint you, you can, can make, make a case, case for, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a good, good game, game no matter what. what. All these teams have earned it. it. Yeah, but, but certainly that would probably be the one that would draw the most eyeballs for sure. And maybe give us the best game. You would expect that to be sort of the best matchup between these two. So no doubt. And again, as Brad Schlossman had in his uh, his column, Chris Jandrick uh, of some Croatian descent, you know, I he's probably not going to be happy. I'm sure he's probably not listening to the pod. Let's start this way. And if he is, he's not probably this deep in. Good for Chris. And if they uh, continue on, um, you know, it, it, the way they play, though, you have to just a lot of respect. They they are a hard team to play against. So we have a Tuesday, Wednesday semifinals with a Sunday, a Sunday final. It's Sunday at nine in the morning. Yep. So it should be fun. So buckle in. Two quick managerial things. If you, as athletic director, have a coach who is forced with making a decision about starting a key player 
who's been a star for a long I know it's different in college because it's not like it's not like in the pros when you can be like a 15 year veteran and have all this, you know, time and tenure on your side. The most anymore you've got, maybe you're a sixth year that that's played a lot, but has been injured, whatever. When you've got a coach that's forced with making those tough decisions in terms of start sit, and I'm referencing this to Fernando Santos's decision to bench Cristiano Ronaldo the last two matches. Do, do you ever find yourself in a situation where you are giving advice or you're helping out in the situation with the coach to say, Hey, I can see that this guy's the captain of the team, but he's just not, you're better when he's not on the field. Do you ever find yourself having, have you seen that in your career where you've had to either step in or see coaches have to deal with those big decisions and big moments? Yeah. So I think everybody, um, the one thing that I try to do, uh, I, I would say from an athletic director standpoint is I, I try to help our coaches by asking good questions. And so, I try to ask, like, sometimes I'm just curious about why is X happening and not Y. And, and then, and then he or she may end up saying, well, here, here's the backstory. Right. And so at the end of the day, I think sometimes we, when I'm a fan too, we miss the backstory and we understand kind of the reasons why once you have those questions and those are always hard like those are hard things to do like the, the other piece is um anytime you have someone that's given to the program in some way shape or form but then you have to alter what's maybe in the best interest of the team moving forward i think that's what our coaches will always default to and they should and, and at the end, sometimes it's making those tough decisions. And, you know, the one thing about Santos, I'll say, and I, what little I read about it, he certainly has known, um, he's known Ronaldo longer than, uh, more than half his life. I think he said basically, well, he's 37, and I think he got to know him at 19, something to that effect, or 18. So th this is someone that has equity within, within him, and I... <laughs> they want to win as much as anybody else. And so maybe he just felt it was right for him to, to, you know what, have 45 minutes of play. I mean, given the way it was going on, uh, on Saturday uh, that, you know, they needed uh, obviously a goal. So you're going to put in one of the prolific goal scorers uh, ever. And so at the end of the day, but that 45 minutes, you know, he's got more in his tank at that point to try to make some runs and do some things. But yeah, you know, he, he's had an interesting, let's just say last three months, maybe maybe even last six or nine months. And it's hard to get old. It's, mm. it's just hard. I mean, you know, he's not the same player he was 10 years ago. Yeah. yeah. He's not the same player he was even five seasons ago. Like just the, the pace is lost and some of the touch is gone as well. And it, it's hard when you get to that point. Look at Tom Brady, not to completely sidetrack the situation, but not the same, not the same guy this year. And that's okay. It, who's undefeated, Bill? Father Time, right? Mother Nature. We're going to find Mother Nature here very shortly, and she's she will win. She will win. Uh, we'll allow her to do her thing, and we'll make sure and pivot and alter. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I Obviously, um, he knows the answers. Uh, I always are thoughtful about – I even, even when it comes to here at UND, obviously I talk to our coaches uh, a lot, and, and I try to get as much – information and backstory as possible. But when you're talking about me just being a fan, say of Spurs or Red Sox or whatever, 
I don't know the backstories. I mean, you can read someone, and and it, but you're never going to get the full backstory on something's happening. If you're, to me, doing it right, like at the end of the day, not everyone needs to know everything that what's transpiring in someone's life. But at the end of the day, that coach is hired to make the right decision for the impact of the program. Not everyone needs to know everything is a great segue to my second managerial question, because the last 24 hours or so, the U.S. men's national team have had some things released about how the coaching staff and Gio Reyna, we assume at least, it's not been officially said this was Gio Reyna that Greg Berhalter was talking about. But essentially, all throughout the tournament, everybody wanted to know, why is probably our most talented player not playing at all? And it was sort of leaked that maybe he was injured, but not really. And the coaching, there was a rift there between the coaching staff. And then just the other day, Greg Berhalter, in what was supposed to be an off-the-record symposium basically said there was one player that we almost sent home because they weren't giving what the team needed from an effort standpoint, from a, you know, engagement standpoint on and off the pitch. And people have basically read between the lines and said, well, this is clearly who they're talking about. As a administrator, I'm assuming you would prefer that the coach would, now again, in Greg's defense, he thought it was an off the record conversation apparently, and there are none of those anymore, but Would you be upset with the coach or have a conversation with the coach when things like that that are taking place within the team become much more in the public space? Yeah, I think I would at least learn about how it happened. Mm. And I would want to know, again, the backstory and the context, because even there, there's a backstory to the backstory now, like on how (laughs) that happened. Right. And so. We don't know everything that's going on. Was he able to give uh, everything? Was he 100 percent physically going into this thing? I don't know. And so I just I know this, though, um, I would assume and trust that that Greg Burhalter wanted to advance like everybody else and probably more so. And so I think he probably did what he thought was in the best interest of team dynamics, too. That doesn't mean all the times you're you're necessarily playing your most talented players all the time. Sometimes sometimes your team has to be in harmony. And when your team's in harmony, you have a better shot. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, and that's there's a lot of layers to it. And obviously the U.S. advanced to the round of 16 and lost to a Dutch team that took Argentina right to the end, to penalty kicks, you know, to make it to the semi. So there's no shame. They, they had a great tournament. No, no shame. No, and you know the other thing I would say, Alex, is, uh, you know, Reyna's only 20. Like, like yeah. you know what? This might been the best World Cup for him. We might come see him come back at 24 and 28 and even 32 and be some one of the best players in the world. You have no idea, but they, he needed to get through this experience. And who knows? But I, I'm I'm optimistic uh, for for Team USA moving forward. Lot of lot of young players that I think are are pretty good. The only thing I don't know about it is my eyes tell me we just don't have that bona fide striker. It doesn't feel like we have that that one person, right? And, and who's our guy on France, Giroud, right? That guy. I mean, how old is he? He's like my age, and he's still heading the ball. <laughs> I mean, isn't he? I, he's he's mid thirties now, I suppose. Olivier, yeah, all time. I mean, France is all time leading goal scorer now. Like the guy just. And the thing is, he wasn't even supposed to play. I think that's the that's the unique thing about all this is that he was their second choice number nine behind Ballon d'Or winner Karim Benzema, and Benzema gets hurt right before the tournament. 
okay, well, we got to go with plan B, and that's Giroud, and he's not good enough to play at Chelsea, and he's not good enough at Arsenal, and he's this guy that's limited in certain things, but he just scores goals, and he gets the game winner to send them on to the semifinals. He scored, I think, three, three or four. Has he scored four maybe this tournament? It's been a lot. I mean, he's had a great tournament to help this team move on. So it just goes to show, if you've got a guy like that that can score, you can affect games and you can advance. And the U.S. didn't quite have that this tournament. And a lot of teams didn't, quite frankly. That There's a dearth of number nines in the world. The U.S. has to find one in the next four years. Yeah, they really do. And, you know, and it's a, you know, of course you're going to have the conversation right now with is, do you stay with your current coaching staff? Because you got to, you, you really, it's a four-year decision, right? Yeah. I mean, that's really what it ends up being. Most, more than likely it's a four-year decision. So um, I don't know. What are you thinking in regards to that? Do you think he takes on another four or do you think uh, he passes the baton? I think this is a great case of, looking at the whole picture, you know, like, and, and zooming out and thinking, okay, the team probably achieved about, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming the quarterfinals was the big goal. If we can get to the quarters, that'd be awesome. Second, it'd be this, you know, the second time in modern U.S. soccer history, they would have made it that far. But getting out of the group was was basically like the, the realistic, we got to get out of the group. Can we get out of the group? And they did that. The, the team seemed to play really well together. There was a good harmony there. Greg is kind of a unique personality and um, some of the decisions were always like a little, you kind of scratched your head sometimes when you saw the team sheet or when you saw the subs or even when you saw the 26 guys he was taking, but it all kind of worked okay. So has he earned another four years? I mean, probably based on merit, but if there's an opportunity maybe to bring in sort of someone else who could be better, who could maybe raise the team up a little bit tactically, I think they have to look at doing it because the team should be better in four years. I don't know if Greg is the kind of manager that can take them necessarily where they need to go. That'd be the only thing. There's a ceiling, I think, to him. Yeah, I thought he was um, incredibly solid for the last four years. And uh, and I thought the team, you know, again, got through. And you we're seeing with Morocco, it, once you get through, anything can happen. And so... Uh, uh, the, the the thing that I, it'll be interesting, the balance of conversation that they're going to have is we have seen seems like this. We have more uh, younger players playing at high levels around the country, uh, around the world. And how do you balance that? with our current domestic league? And it just felt like, yeah, the team sheets, when they did come out, you're like, I'm not sure that's our best 11 per se, but it could be our best 11 against the team we're playing. Could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, the results were there. I mean, they went undefeated in the group. You know, they won the match they needed to. They, they got out. So it's just, uh, and they qualified. They didn't even qualify last time around. So you, you can't you can't knock the results from what Berhalter did. It just feels like if there was his vision of what U.S. soccer could be, I don't know if it necessarily syncs up with what the vision maybe of the, the personnel that he's got has to offer or what maybe the the country would like to see. Uh, so we'll see. I, w- I would be okay if they kept him on. To be honest, I would be okay too if they decided to move on from him if there was another candidate that made more sense uh, to fill that role and perhaps take this team to the next level. Well, two disappointments uh, during, the, dur- during the tournament. One is I, like, crazy man thought maybe Belgium had one last uh, run in them. No, they didn't. Not close. They were too old. Holy cow. They were way too old. And I, I you said it when I had said it and it just, uh, it didn't matter. They just, they just weren't good enough. The, 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 
the team that I was highly impressed with during our qualifying and they just didn't get off the block was uh, Jody Hodson's Can- Canadian team. I mean, he just, they just didn't get off the block, did they? It was too bad because they they actually played really well against Belgium in their first match and outplayed the Belgians, lost one nothing on kind of a right goal right before the half. And then they come out the next match and they're up one nothing against Croatia. And fly, Alfonso Davies scores, I think, in the second minute. Like, they're flying high, pressing on the front foot, on the front foot. And then some of the naivete kind of kicked in, where it was like they were pushing so hard for the second, they sort of forgot that, no, you, you got to, the other team's really good. You got to defend. You got to keep your shape. And they lose 4-1. And obviously, this is a Croatia team that's now in the semifinals. Uh, and then they played Morocco. I mean, so the, the part of it is, and they and they uh, did they lose two to one, I believe, to the Moroccans. So the fact is, in their group are two semifinalists in this tournament, and Belgium. So really, in the in hindsight, you could look back and say, oh yeah, maybe they were in the group of death. This was the best group in the tournament, and the fact that yeah, they didn't win a match and they didn't get a result. Yeah, I mean, it looks bad and. And they didn't perform the way they thought they could. But if maybe if they were in just a different group, maybe it's a completely different story for the Canadians. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And then Mexico didn't uh, didn't get it going either. And so, uh, you know, it probably wasn't awesome uh, for our uh, federation, if you will. But the one question I have for you, too, um, and I know we're bumping up against the hour, but um, the one question I have is so in 26 we host with Canada and Mexico. Do all three all three countries automatically qualify? All three do. And in a 32-team World Cup, that could be problematic. But in a 48-team World Cup bill, which is what it will be in 2026, nah, not a big deal. Sure, all three can be in there. So the U.S., Canada, Mexico, they're all in for 2026. The format of what that 48-team World Cup will look like is still up in the air. Initially, the plan was to do 16 groups of three, and people during this tournament have all been like raising their hands saying, wait a minute, don't you realize that then you lose the drama of the simultaneous match day three games in the group to decide things? Because that was unbelievable viewing this time around, and they would lose all of that if you've got sort of this mini two-match round robin in each group to decide things. So it sounds like they're looking at either a a system where you'd have 12 groups of four and then you'd have, you know, the winner and the second place team and they got it and you split the bracket. There, there's a lot of different machinations there. They're kind of working through, but it sounds like they've almost gone back to the drawing board because they sort of realized, oh yeah, that's right. We need to have this format in some way, shape or form continue. Otherwise you lose the drama. You increase the opportunity for these dead rubber matches or collusion, et cetera, because both teams sort of know, okay, if we both do this, the other team's not going over, and, and we both can move on. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, U.S. is through already. Through so they're already through, and you're right. I mean, the reality of it is the increased amount of teams probably uh, – chances are – I'll call it those three uh, uh, countries probably would have qualified given where they are, I guess, in CONCACAF at this point. Yeah, I'm not sure how many teams CONCACAF will get in that 48-team World Cup, but you could imagine it will go up from – Three guaranteed spots plus the fourth that you can get in the intra-continental playoff. I would assume it will become like five guaranteed spots and maybe a sixth gets in. Like, so, I mean, the fact that those three couldn't be top six in CONCACAF, yeah, very unlikely. 
that those that each of those three wouldn't have qualified automatically anyway. Yeah, I mean, it, probably really um, interesting for the other countries though, because it really you've got three that automatically from your own federation that go in. But you're right, they're the top three. So it's like <laughs> how you have an argument, but how much of an argument? Yeah, I'll be fascinated to see what qualifying looks like, um, how many teams get in, what this does for the next World Cup. I, 48 teams seems pretty bloated. I guess you'd want to figure it out, though. I mean, just from a math equation standpoint, you got to figure out how to probably get to the knockout at 16 again, right? I mean, it might be that you need to do, I don't know, 24, that maybe there's buys to 16. I don't know. You have to figure it out. But you're going to want the same, I think, structure within the groups because of that third game. And I do think you're going to want to get eventually from 16 to the quarters to the semis. Yeah. The idea right now is being floated out that they would go from 48 to then a 32 round, a round of 32 and then a round of 16. But then you're adding, you know, you're adding a match and it's, it just gets trickier when you do those sorts of things. And and I, I can't imagine that round of 32 having a lot of compelling game. There'll be a lot of games that might not be very close, but you never know. You never, you never know. Never know. You uh, never that's know. right. You didn't know Morocco would be in the semis. I mean, some of us had an idea they were going to beat Spain. Uh, some of us on this podcast felt very strongly that they were probably going to win that game. And then uh, the Portugal game was a coin flip. And I just I didn't know if they'd have the legs after going the distance against the Spanish. And they obviously did. So And now, who, who knows? I mean, Morocco v. France, that one's tasty from a geopolitical standpoint as well. So we'll see how that, we'll see how it all shakes out. Can't wait. The last one with the Red Sox is uh, uh, winter meetings occurred. Um, we're starting to figure out the roster to some degree. Lost Bogarts. Um, you know, when when you go in and you do a uh, higher average annual uh, salary over a six-year period and you get beat out ultimately by years, and, and that's really what they got beat out by. And I, it just depends on how they're going to react now. Yeah, disappointing, not unexpected. But disappointing. Xander was one of my favorites and obviously was a part of, yeah, it was a homegrown guy, was a part of two World Series championships. Um, it's tough, tough to see him go. But it's it's another example of the team maybe opting for flexibility, I suppose, as opposed to what we've seen the Padres, the Yankees do. You're taking on these longer contracts that are going to be probably albatrosses towards the ends it, because they just don't want to be strapped with that moving forward. And I can't, I can't blame the Sox for doing that. It just uh, it's just hard now to see what do they pivot to, what what's Plan B, and I hope I hope there is a Plan B because it would be it'd be tough to have another season like last year. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. Um, I was surprised on the uh, on the pickup by the Japanese outfielder. I, I wasn't mm. too familiar with him, uh, and so it'll be interesting, um, you know. But you know, there's they are they are spending some money for sure, though. Hopefully, they're spending it on the right people. That's that's the only question, and I'm not so sure. I just I don't know. Uh, we gotta extend Evers. Yeah, that's 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 been, you know, priority number one really for at least eighteen months now, and they still haven't quite got it figured out. So hopefully they can, and uh, you you lock him in at third, and and you move forward from there. But we'll see. That's right. Well, we're not too far away from uh, obviously holidays, and so this this could be our final pod of December. Could be. I mean, we'll have to we'll have to think that through. Maybe we'll be uh, here after the first of the year, or maybe we'll jump in. You know, between Christmas and New Year's. I think so. It could be a short pod, a short holiday wrap up pod uh, after Christmas. Yeah, end of twenty two, heading to twenty three. I like it. Excitement in the air. 
<laughs> well, we'll ring in the new year with us in the next couple of weeks, and uh, we'll chat all about things that have happened over the next, uh, over the last couple, over the holiday season. Uh, let's do it. Let's do it. We'll have Done. one more. We'll have one more. Mark it down. One more here in 2022. So until then, happy holidays, Bill. You too, to the Heiner family. Yeah, to, to the Chaves family as well, and to the listening family also. Uh, just enjoy this season. Enjoy time. Make the most of it out there. Uh, brace yourself for a little winter weather this week. Be smart. Be safe. For Bill, uh, for, for Alec, and for Paul and the rest of our crew, I'm Alex Heiner. Thanks again for listening. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. We'll talk to you soon.